The Lord be with you, everyone, and it's great to be back and to be able to share with you the Word of God and probably be the last person to pray the blessing of God upon you in this incoming year. And before we get to the Scripture tonight, I I want to share two very important announcements with you. Um, The first is April the 26th through the 27th of this incoming year, 2019, we will begin a new cycle of the Bible schools. Um, and, and they go for seven cycles uh, over a period of however long it takes us. Each class is different. And um, it, it begins uh, Friday morning, goes through all day Saturday. And so April the 26th through the 27th, we're beginning a new cycle. And if you want to join us in that, I want you to call the office immediately because we have to determine uh, the place and, you know, how many are coming. It depends where we're going to have it. So call the office on that. And then June the 7th, through the 8th, we will be conducting a retreat in St. Petersburg, Florida. And there's been a lot of interest on the East Coast who cannot get to Texas. And so we will come to you. It's been many decades since I was on the East Coast. We've got many friends there. Um, I hope I'm going to see you at this retreat June the 7th through the 8th. Our topic will be living in the fullness of God. The word fullness is a great word of the New Testament which describes this incredible life of living in the abundance of the presence of God in us as we are in Him. It will be held in the Crystal Bay Hotel Resort in St. Petersburg, Florida. And again, call our office for all further details. But I tell you, it's going to be a very wonderful time. Um, okay, that, that's, that's good enough for now. And I trust we shall see you in one or both of those places. Now, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, in the, I don't know how many years, well, I suppose... Since 1953 is when this chapter came alive, 1953. And I've been preaching many times every year since then from this chapter. I've written books about it, got many, many series on CD. But what I want to share with you tonight is is different. It, it, it's come to me in the last number of weeks very powerfully. And so let's um, read just four parts of it. The first in chapter 15 of Luke verse 6, the shepherd has found his sheep. Now he comes home and he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you in the same way there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents more so than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. 
Or what woman? Then he goes on to talk about the woman has all her furniture on the front lawn looking for a coin. And in verse 9, she finds it, calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, I have found the coin which I had lost. Then the big parable of the prodigal son, the younger brother, and the father runs down the road to meet him. You remember, and verse 22 says, Quickly bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, let us eat and be merry. This son of mine was dead. He's come to life again. He's lost, has been found. And they began to be merry, or they began to rejoice. Then in verse 31, you remember, the elder brother was enraged that the father had bestowed such honor and given such celebration to the younger one. And the father confronts him. And in verse 32, he says, we had to be merry and rejoice. And that phrase had to, um, in older versions, they've translated as it was necessary that we were merry, glad, and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead, has begun to live, was lost, has been found. Four times over, rejoice with me. In, in the first two, it's actually stated as such, and then the last two, it's um, either stated or displayed. That's what they were doing. They were rejoicing together. And so... Um, what one to begin to understand what that's about, um, we have to understand who this was spoken to. And so many times, so many times I've heard this preached on, uh, it, it is presented to the persons that are sort of there, the lost sheep kind of person or the lost coin or certainly the prodigal son or uh, and, and most people leave out the elder brother. But, I mean, they're the people they think it was spoken to. I mean, they're sitting at the table, aren't they, these tax collectors? Uh, and everybody knew the tax collector was the scum of the earth. They were those that had betrayed their faith in God. They had left their faith. They had betrayed their own people and sold them out to the Roman army of occupation. And that Roman army was paying their salary, and a big one at that, and sent them back to their own people to extract taxes from them. Oh, tax collectors. There, there was no curse word that could be worse than saying you're a tax collector. It, 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 they looked upon a tax collector as the pariah dog. Uh, and and huh, Jesus is telling these stories as he sits at table with tax collectors, which was unheard of. You, you would never shake hands with a tax collector. You would never look him in the face. When you paid taxes, you were to throw the money on the counter, never give it in his hand. Oh, they hated tax collectors. And Jesus was eating. And of course, in those days, as it is in many countries today, um, to eat with someone was to have a covenant with them, a covenant of solidarity, a sort of covenant of friendship, 
I'm standing with you. Jesus, in public, was eating, declaring a covenant solidarity with tax collectors. Let me say it again. There was nobody lower than a tax collector. The richest people in town on Roman money lived in the big mansions. Oh, yes. They, they were the mafia bosses of the day. They held the whole town in their death grip. Huh. Tax. And Jesus was eating. And they weren't only eating. They were enjoying it. This was not some legal get-together when Jesus was laying out a list of rules to them that if they did this and this and this and this, then maybe God would love them or like them even. No, they were having a jolly good time. You could hear the laughter down the block. Even I have to say right there, what's going on? But of course, the Pharisee, And I think you know by now the Pharisees were the extreme legalists of the day. They lived by every period and comma of the law of Moses and then decided that wasn't enough and so added 2,000 more laws to the laws of Moses and despised everybody that didn't live by their standards. And they, they prayed, and this is a, a fact. It's, it's in history. They, they got out of bed every morning, put their hand on their heart and said, I thank you, O God, I'm not like other men. I'm much more holy. And thank God I'm not a woman. And thank God I'm not a dog. <laughs> nice chaps, these Pharisees. And they had been trying to get Jesus, but now he's handed himself to them on a platter. He's eating with tax collectors. No holy man would ever do that. And so they, they stand around the courtyard for apparently it was an open-air feast sort of thing. And, and as they stand around and in their rage and their holy indignation, they are whispering in loud whispers in horror at what Jesus is doing. Jesus heard it, of course. These parables were not spoken to the tax collectors. They were spoken to the Pharisees. Jesus was answering the Pharisees as to why he was sitting at a covenant table with these people and having a marvelous time and rejoicing with them. He was explaining that to the Pharisees in these stories. And and so when he says these words, rejoice with me, that was addressed to the Pharisees. He was saying, don't you see it? I'm bringing home my my lost sheep. I've found my precious coin. I've got my arms around the lost children. Come, rejoice with me. I'm beside myself with joy. And he is speaking as God from God. God is rejoicing in Christ Jesus over these that he has found and are on the path of restoration to true faith in God. And so, he says, Pharisees, you stand in horror 
Well, let me tell you, and he tells the parable of the elder brother, the one who is enraged by the joy and the celebration and the honor that is heaped upon the younger prodigal brother. And it ends, he says, it's necessary. It's necessary to rejoice. Do you realize what's going on here? And so he addresses the Pharisees. I I say he didn't speak to the tax collectors because, well, they didn't really need it, did they? I mean, they're reveling in the fact that Jesus, if ever they had met God in a human, they've met him in Jesus. If ever they saw the love of God, they saw it in every word Jesus spoke and all his action. And now they are the ones who are receiving it. Sitting at the table, they cannot believe they're accepted by this one. They cannot believe the words he's saying. No, they don't need any parables. They're right in the middle of it. You you follow me? They they don't need to be told they're lost sheep. They know that better than anybody. But now they've been told that they're found by their shepherd. They can totally relate to being a lost son. They know all about that. They know about selling their birthright and going to live with the Roman pigs. They, They know about that. What they're amazed with is that he loves me, and he's come to lay hold of me. No, no, Jesus didn't have to talk to them. It was the Pharisees that were enraged because of such a display of joy and acceptance as going on at this table. It's got to be stopped. You could almost say that Luke 15 led directly to the cross. Because from nearly a human point of view, this did it. This did it. Pharisees said no more. Anyone that eats with tax collectors must die. So to the legalists, those moral persons that looked in horror at Jesus doing what he was doing, comes this word, rejoice with me. He's obviously rejoicing over the tax collectors who are sitting there, obviously. Now he's inviting the Pharisees to come pull up a chair and rejoice with me. I'm beside myself with joy over these that are now listening and receiving and coming to faith. Well, come and rejoice with me. And I want to look at that phrase within that context, but but I find that it's so important. You see, rejoice with me. God came inside our humanity in Jesus. And and now he is saying, hear me very carefully, rejoice with me. If you you want the the actual words there, maybe should have the emphasis, rejoice together with me. That is not a separate joy. Jesus is saying, come and participate. That's, That's the word really that's here. Participate in my joy. And I've tried to show you my joy in, it's the joy of the shepherd that, that will not quit in his wilderness pursuit in finding the sheep. And when he finds it, he's beside himself with joy. 
Well, that, that's it. That, that says how I feel, said Jesus, that I have come and I have entered into the wilderness of humanity in order to find lost sheep. And so come and participate with me in my joy, my joy. You can almost hear the voice of God saying, let me put my smile of delight into your heart and on your face. This is God's joy. See, joy is all over the Bible. If if you just go through the Bible on the words joy and rejoice and gladness, they're the three main ones. You, You find the Bible's full of it, full of it. And there's a lot of others that are not so much main, but... Do do you realize that God's joy, the joy that it it, it defines the Christian faith, did you know that? It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy. Well, it's got nothing to do with our human happiness. In fact, it's got nothing to do with our human joy. We don't use the word joy that much, not as much as happy. But when we do it, we're not talking about this. This is, this is God joy. See, human joy, like human happiness, is a very fragile thing, very fragile. When I say fragile, I mean as fragile as a spider's web. It's as fragile as the dew on the grass of an August morning. Fragile. It, it, it's totally dependent upon external things that make you, you feel. Your, your feelings that we call joy are totally sourced from external persons or external events. That's why they're so quickly gone. Joy today, misery tomorrow. Um, it's, it's, how can I put this? We, we, we are coming to a joy when we come to the joy of God that is totally independent of what's happening out there. It's, it's a joy that rises from within. The source of God's joy is God himself. And so when Jesus said, rejoice with me, he was saying to the Pharisees, what's going on here is not to do with all your laws and your regulations. It's not to do with all the commands that these chaps have broken everyone. It's not to do with that. It is rising from within God who sees these persons as you obviously don't see them. They are broken. They are lost. And as I've told you so many times before, the word lost does not mean that they're thrown on the garbage heap. The word lost in anybody's language means that they are so precious that everyone must stop to find them. It's it's what you would say when a child is lost in the village. The child is lost then everybody drops their work and and they come together. We've got to find that child. Why? Because the child is precious, you see. 
when he says a lost sheep and a lost coin, it doesn't mean that they're stupid sinners abandoned to the garbage dump. No, no. Stop that Pharisee nonsense of looking down your silly religious nose and saying they're lost. No, if you say lost, it means they're so precious. It means that God himself would enter into our time, space, history in order to lay hold upon us, the lost, and find us. Oh, no, this is God's. He sees us very differently to the way we see each other. And, and his joy rises from his being of love and compassion. He loves us, and therefore he joys over us. So our joy, which is this emotion we have when things are going our way, when things are right for us, and when we perceive that people are for us, that's all, as I say, a fragile thing. Jesus described the joy we're talking about as when we are united with him, living in in sync with him at a heart level. Let me read it to you from John 15. It begins in verse 4, but I'll jump here and there. Jesus said, abide in me, or take up residence inside of me, to to make your dwelling inside of me. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide or take up residence in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides has an organic union with me, and I with him or her bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing." Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. So therefore, take up residence inside of my love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Now that's what he's talking about. He is saying that God the Father, who comes to us through Jesus the Son, through the Holy Spirit, now actually takes up residence inside of us. And I mean that. And I don't mean that it's for some non-existent super saints. I mean you that I speak to now. Ordinary people like me. He comes through his Spirit to take up residence within us, and we, through that same Spirit, take up residence in him. And he says, you're you're residing inside of my love, and therefore, the, the reason I'm telling you this is what it's all about is that my joy may be my joy, my joy, not a joy like his, not, not certainly not a human fragile joy, but Jesus said, my own joy. He takes his joy and puts it inside of us. That's the gospel. The joy of God 
is actually put inside of us by the Holy Spirit. And he said, the result is now your joy, because I gave it to you, it's become your joy. But now your joy is the fullest human joy that's ever been seen. And so this dwelling, this living inside of him, that that's where Christians live. That's what it means to be a believer. We're, we're, we're living in the joy. And that joy is, is the God dimension. That is independent of anything that's happening or anything that any person is doing. The God joy holds within us. And whence comes this joy? We see things in relation to him. That is, we never see things just as a human looking outside of ourselves to to hope that everything makes us feel happy. But rather, we are now seeing life, understanding life through the lens of him who loved us. And that's, that's the way it truly is. And therefore, we see there's no separation. We see that he's in us, we're in him. But also, when I look out, I see him inside all the events and circumstances. We live our lives in a dynamic union with God. And, and let that sink in and you'll find the joy of God rising in you just to realize that. It's, it's the dimension, this inside of, of God's love where all things are possible. There's nothing that God says, well, I'll have to see about that, you know. No, Jesus simply dismissed it and says, with God, all things are possible. That's, that's the dimension, that's the, what, the world, if you like, in which we live inside of him. It's where Jesus lived, and he brought that inside human. It's the place of all abundance. Abundance. And that's the Bible word used over and over again. And it's freely given. That's the meaning of grace. It means the place where there's no chaos. I can't, can I think of that? A place where there's no chaos, no anxiety, for there is no fear. For perfect love casts out fear. And so it's the place of all harmony. It's where everything and everybody lives in the wholeness of God. Jesus said, that's my joy. That's my joy. That's how I see these people. This is what I've come to give them, to open their eyes. So come, come and join us. Rejoice with me with, together with, I said before, together with. That is, come and rejoice in harmony with me. Joy with my joy, smile with my smile, see with my eyes. Joined with, standing in agreement together. And then you see, if if you see then these people, Through my eyes, you'll realize they have limitless worth. (laughs) I know, Pharisee, it's so hard for you to get it, but they are worth saving. I know, 
Pharisee, I know you think that the mark of holiness to say, I'm wretched, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy. Yes, well, go on, you invented that God. This God comes and sits down with the lowest of the low and says, you are worth saving. As much as that sheep was worth going for, as much as that coin was worth looking for, as much as that rebellious son was worth embracing and receiving back into the family, and that elder brother was worth pursuing. Oh, yes, we're worth. Boy, I could just stop there, couldn't I? Let's go home and think about that for two months. You, 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 he loves you, which means he has bestowed on you in that love a worth that is beyond words, for it's a love that is equal to the Father's love for Jesus. And he's bestowed that same love on us and says, you are worth it. You are worth God taking on our humanity. You are worth his facing all of our satanic foes. He is worth You are worth it that he should go to the cross and shed his blood. You are worth that he should bring you into the heart of the Holy Trinity. That's that's what got these Pharisees. They they said they're tax collectors. They're not worth it. They're not worth it. The best we could say, an insignificant cockroach of a rebel... And you, Jesus, are saying it, that, that, that they, they are worth sitting with, they're worth rejoicing over. Yeah, that's the gospel. Oh, if you're going to rejoice with Jesus, yes, don't, don't get me wrong here. Um, the sheep in being lost was precious, but this precious one was in grave danger and had gone into the world of the wilderness, which was full of darkness, predators, and death. Oh, yes. Don't don't get me wrong. But it never stopped being precious. And so when I rejoice with him, it means I rejoice that that which was lost has been found, that which had entered into the very dimension of death has been raised from the dead, that love has found and has restored. So this joy is almost... Yes, did, did you know that the word grace, the word grace in the language of the New Testament is the root of the word is joy. So when, whenever you say the word grace, you are in the family of the joy words. And whenever you say joy, you are hinting at grace. This is it. How can you explain this? That God would become incarnate. He would come and take up residence in our humanity in order to lay hold upon us, every one of us, and say that he is beside himself with joy. Because you know that word rejoice is a very strong word. I've told you before. You could say that it means to leap in the air, spin around. Um, it's, It's very physical. 
highly charged emotional word, and Jesus used it to describe how he felt, and how he felt is how God feels when he's finally got his arms around a person who's spent their life mocking him. So it's grace, because I can't explain it any other way. You bring a, well, why would he do that? It's grace. That's God. The being of God is to give himself away. The being of God is he refuses to be God without us. And when he's got his arms around us, then joy. Rejoice with me. Rejoice. See, as he used the term in, in the sheep story where he says that the shepherd went searching until he found it which means there was no barrier, no mountain, no ravine. There was no predator. Nothing could stop him. It was until he found it. Now he's coming home with the sheep around his neck like a scarf. And he said, it was worth it. The journey down to the pit of death was worth it. It's a cause now for ecstatic rejoicing. It was not a waste of time going to get some stupid smelly sheep back. No, it was worth it. So rejoice with me means that I get it. I see as he sees. I see the worth of the human I see the worst of the one that has fallen into the deepest pit. I see their worth in the love of God, and therefore rejoice with me is to participate in his joy. That he rose from the dead and says, I got it. I found my sheep. You see, I say it again. Rejoice with me is to be united with him to smile when he smiles, to see what he sees, to delight in his delight. That's, that's what it means. That's a Christian. It means to have a total radical change of mind, which is that meaning of the word repent. Total, total, radical change of mind, change of seeing, upends everything my ancestors taught me and everything I picked up in my journey of life so far. I, it's all turned around. I see now everything in relation to this one who won't quit loving. And rejoice with me, then I, I, I settle into his mind and his thoughts and his passion. So these Pharisees had already dismissed anyone that wasn't like them. Uh, and, and so such a person has no interest in a lost sheep or a lost coin or a lost son. Beat the kid if he comes home. So they had no interest in a shepherd that would go and find a sheep at, at own personal expense. No interest in a woman that would do unbelievable house cleaning to find one little tiny coin. No interest in a father that made a silly fool of himself running down the road to embrace this bag of bones and rags that was called his son. They couldn't find it in them. They couldn't even find it beyond them to rejoice 
over such people, let alone the fuss that was going on here over something so insignificant. Now I say, rejoice with me to share in, participate in his intentions, in the intentions of Jesus. Can you, this is, this is what I mean, Christ is in me. So I share in his agenda, in his design, in how he looks at life and the world. Rejoice with me. He's saying, come and participate in my love. Come, come and see a world where it's all my love and see everything through my love. Come into my world and see everything through my compassion. Come and see my joy to forgive and release and restore the worst of the worst. Rejoice with me. But of course, you see, if I'm going to rejoice with him and sort of see things from his viewpoint, that's putting it mildly, um, then how do, it means that I allow myself to see myself as he sees me. I, I can't rejoice with him over that lost sheep until I recognize I'm the lost sheep too. And so to rejoice with him that he's found his sheep is to rejoice with him that he found me. Do you hear that? How, how did this younger son participate in the father's joy? How did he do it? By accepting his acceptance which meant I'll take the clothes, which were his father's clothes, incidentally, obviously. There were no, he had no clothes hanging in the closet. So, so the father gave him his clothes and his shoes and put his ring on his hand, and the boy accepted it, which means I accept the reality that you, father, say that I'm worthy to wear this. I'm worthy to wear the ring of the family. Did, yeah, you get that? See, the father delighted in the son when the son looked and acted as his son, walked as his son, dressed as his son, sat at the table in the son's seat and watched that son delight in the new self that has been bestowed upon him in that declaration of the Father. See, rejoice with me. Let me say it again. I can't rejoice in sort of a general fact that Jesus came for lost people the only way I can rejoice with him and participate in his joy is to realize he's talking about me. Rejoice with me means that the Father bestows that unspeakable worth upon me. And that that is right, that he does so according to this 
law of divine love and grace. To look in the mirror and say, I am worth saving. And I am worth blessing. And I'm worth healing. Oh boy. I I can almost feel people backing off. We haven't been raised like this, have we? Isn't it a tragedy that so many of us, I include myself, we were raised as Pharisees. Well, we we despite we were taught to to reject anyone that wasn't like us and, and then to be uh, judgmental on ourselves to say we're not worth and so our posture when we prayed was hang your head bang your chest say i'm unworthy and people thought you were very holy when you did that what's he say he says rejoice with me What's he saying? He said, I am rejoicing over you. And until you see that I'm rejoicing over you, you can't join me to rejoice over anybody else. You're the one I came for. You're worth my coming. You are worth my dying. You're worth my embracing you in resurrection and carrying you to the Father. And you're worth the Father's delight and the laughter of heaven at your home. You're worth it. He came until he found us to that bitter end where he found us in death. And that's not, see, that's not a general statement. He's finding me. He's finding you. That's what it's all about. And therefore he's rejoicing that he found us in the depths of his death. And he found us as he carried us to the Father. And now he's saying, rejoice with me. See what I've done and see things as I see them. See yourself as I see you. See yourself as I know you. He rejoices over us. And this incredible good news is that we rejoice with him. And we joy in ourselves, over ourselves. But we do so with his joy, which means my track record My weaknesses have nothing to do with this. He's got me. He's got me. See, this joy that he has over us and that we now share with him, that's the foundation of all receiving. The the reason this came up is, is realizing so many people who hear what I'm saying and love what I'm saying but feel that they're unworthy to receive it. And I I began to hear it. You know, the Holy Spirit tunes you to hear certain things that might have been said for the last 20 years and you missed it. But I realized people were saying, well, I feel so unworthy. And that's why they can't get it. They're cutting themselves off. They cringe, hold back, because they've been taught that they're everlastingly to say I'm unworthy. That is 
It's not for me. When I was raised in the ghettos of London and, and I would hear of another world out there, of what people did and where they went and what they could do, especially if they were living here in the States, and, and I can still hear my mother saying, that's not for the likes of us. I was raised in that poverty mentality that you can't do that, you're not worthy of that, you can't have that. And so when you go to church, yeah, that's the way it is. They talk about all of this, but it's for those creatures called saints that are not anywhere in the Scripture. Scripture describes all of us as saints. And the saints in Scripture went to work every morning. They didn't live in caves. And, and, and they had all the pressures of life and they lived with all the same relatives and everything. But they were saints. We don't look out there to see how we're doing. We look into his heart and into his face and we join with his joy and we rise in our very being to the level of his joy. Joy, rejoice with me. So what what does it mean? I've, I've said it, but let me try and summarize it. The joy, joy means that I've heard it deep inside of me. And I, I'm on the verge of daring to believe it and say it of myself. He has declared that you and I, we are his beloved that's what happened with the son that returned. Homeless, as I said, a bag of bones, living in clothes that hadn't seen water in months. And the father grabs him and gives him a bear hug that won't let go and says, You are my son, beloved, accepted, included. You are included into the family of the triune God, the same as Peter and Paul and Andrew and John and Mary. You're included. You're accepted. Rejoice with me. The smile, the smile of God, the smile of God that cracks the whole cosmos. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you. And look, God smiles at us. It's a smile of delight. It's the laughter of his heart. Just look at that face of God's love and realize all thoughts of unworthy, all thoughts of guilt are dismissed. It's gone. That's just not there in this dimension of joy. Joy is the energy of forgiveness, release, acceptance, pouring out in emotionally charged action of the Holy Spirit as you rejoice in accepting his embrace. Shame, you see, cannot live in this joy of God that's directed toward For joy exalts us. Joy is God celebrating us, honoring us. 
joy shouts. This one was lost, but is found. That's joy. And he said, I'm not just standing here doing this. Rejoice with me. Rejoice over who you are in Christ Jesus. Joy fills the heart with hope. Hope, which a better word is expectancy. If if God looks at me with such joy, then my future is very different to the one I thought. Joy, you see, cancels that poverty of spirit. And poverty of spirit is to be afraid. Afraid of not having enough. Afraid of starvation. Afraid of being homeless. Afraid of being out of a job. Poverty of spirit that says, I am not. I have not. I cannot. Poverty of spirit that whispers down there in the darkness, you're a failure. You're a loser. Joy ends that, see. Because joy, he joys in me. And therefore, his joy is the promise of supply, the promise of abundance. Joy wipes away all grief and tears and hurt. It puts a song in our mouth and a dance in our feet. In the Old Testament, in, what is it, Isaiah 35, I think, where it says that, and it speaks of this day in which we now live, It says that sorrow and sighing shall flee away before this joy, which is, he says, everlasting joy upon your heads. Everlasting joy, that's the joy of God, for it says it has no beginning and no ending. But it's upon your head. This is where you that's where you live. This is your new home. Welcome home. Welcome home. It's the place of abiding. See, joy is the polar opposite of rejection. It's the total opposite of all abandonment and being unwanted. What's it? He says, Rejoice with me, I have found. That is, he didn't abandon the sheep for being so stupid as to get out there. He didn't reject the sheep because it got itself all in the thorns. Rather, he puts it around his neck. He couldn't get it closer. And and when he says rejoice with me is the joy of the finder in the found. The joy is the outer expression of the union. The one being in the other. That's it, you see. His joy You can never be abandoned. You can never be unwanted. You can never be rejected. And you see, this is it. As I said, it comes from within. It doesn't matter what people do or people say, you are the beloved of God. You are the apple of his eye. You're the diamond on his ring. You are. I've been quoting three scriptures there. Yeah, that's that's the Bible. That's the gospel. Joy? Yes. I rise above what they say. I rise above what happened to who I am in this joy of God. See, so so joy means I I can never be friendless. For when, when the God who holds the entire universe together calls me his best friend, his beloved, yeah, 
Nuff said. It's the place of strength and safety. Did you know the word delight in the Hebrew language? Is the root is to guard something and keep it. Yes, you delight in something. It's your treasure and therefore you guard it against all enemies. He delights in you, says the scripture. Rejoice with me. So you see, Jesus is saying all of this. He's saying all of this to the Pharisees. And he is saying, well, this is what's happening at the table, you see. This is how I see these chaps. This is what's happening here. And we are having, I was going to say having a ball. We are, but it's an everlasting one. I have brought the joy of heaven. I brought the joy of the Father. Here, the joy of the Son. And it's the Holy Spirit who is that joy in dynamic energy action. That's what's happening here at this table. If you are with me, if you're with me, it is necessary big word. We must do it. Or that latest translation I read, we had to do it. We had to rejoice. We had to. So Pharisee, I say it with all reverence, for God's sake, throw away the rags of your stupid laws and pull up a chair and realize the way he loved the tax collector is the way he loves you. Pull up a chair. Rejoice, says Jesus. Rejoice with me over these tax collectors waking up to who I am and what I'm giving and what the very fact of my being here means. But of course, before you can do that, you have to pull up a chair. And you have to realize, I'm talking about you too. Rejoice with me. It's not about all your laws. It's not about all the things you don't do in the places you don't go. It is that the love of God has laid hold upon you and called you worth the incarnation. You are worth the blood shedding of Jesus. You are worth the Holy Spirit coming within. You are precious to him. Rejoice with me. That's how he sees you. And of course, that's going to change everything, isn't it? When, when you realize that you are this precious person, the one he delights in, and therefore the one he guards and keeps, that he has begun a good work in you and he will complete it. When when you realize this, maybe you don't see it as I'm saying it, but let me tell you, it changes your whole opinion of everybody else. Those people you couldn't stand because they disagreed with you in certain ways, you'll realize, as as God does, that the fact they disagree with you, who cares? That's their opinion. You are you are set free to love them as you are loved. You do realize, don't you, that 
what, what religion and legalism and morality has taught us is to loathe ourselves. Yes, it's, it's, that world is the world of self-hate. And, and forever hating yourself, forever that voice within you that forever says you're stupid, you're dumb, you're an idiot, and puts you down. Says you're a failure, you're no good, and all the rest of that family of words. Well, what happens? But it comes out, and you see other people the same way, and you sneer at them. You have to because you want to put them down, and I hope it makes you come up a bit. And suddenly all that's cancelled out. For you recognize you are released, forgiven, accepted, beloved. And it's got nothing to do with trying to get better than and comparing with others. And you realize he who has forgiven you has forgiven them. And you begin to walk in love even as you have been loved. Yeah, it's necessary. You know, um, there's a verse in Romans 15 and verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope and expectancy by the power of the Holy Spirit. That'll be a good enough thing to finish on. But let me quote that same verse to you from the Passion Translation of the New Testament. Listen. Now may God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in Him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with His superabundance until you radiate with hope. Well, that's the way it is. Rejoice with me, says Jesus. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, cause your eyes to be opened to see yourself as the very center of God's love for you and dare to accept your acceptance and to rest in the love which is yours and to walk into this incoming week as joyous lovers who know they are joyed over and beloved. So I bless you, because that is the way it is.